Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. You're listening to the Oz TV podcast, only on the Oz Network. It is the Oz Network coming to you today for the last good episode of 24 ever. Maybe. There's a few more to come that are better than this, but for this season at least, the last good episode of this season until maybe three more. But we're here for episode four of season six, 9am to 10am, the epic conclusion to the first four episodes that everybody thought... Oh my God, this season's going to be even better than last year. And then we'll get to next week. But this episode is still epic and we've got plenty to talk about. It first aired on January 15th, 2007, which is a momentous day in history, Colin. I didn't talk about this last week, but can I just say that on this day in 2001, Wikipedia was launched Uh, on this day. Did you learn that on Wikipedia? I did. Maybe they just put that every day to confuse you. Uh, on January 15th in 1892, James Naismith published the rules of basketball, uh, <laughs> something to which many teams in the NBA are still trying to find out. And in 1889, the Coca-Cola Company was incorporated in Atlanta. So there you go. Also, big day for January 15th birthdays. We talked about him recently, Martin Luther King Jr., his birthday. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also another historic figure that is often compared to Martin Luther King Jr., Pitbull. Uh, his birthday is on January the 15th. So, uh, big day. And Skrillex as well. Big day for music. Uh, this the, was the, the two biggest uh, advocates for racial equality, uh, Pitbull and Martin Luther King Jr. <laughs> and Skrillex. And also here, um, <laughs> pop singer Grace Vanderwall, uh, Instagram star badkid.j. Uh, I love how he is third most popular on Famous Birthdays behind Martin Luther King Jr. Martin Luther King Jr., second behind TV actress Dove Cameron. Uh, I'm sorry, if your name is Dove, you do not deserve to be ranked anywhere near Martin Luther King Jr. (laughs) Uh, Written by Robert Cochran, directed by Brad Turner. And this is, uh, wow, this is definitely uh, where were you when you watched this episode? Because uh, there are two moments in this that I replayed to death when I first watched this. Mm -hmm. Uh, My name is Ben and we have to do better than we're doing (laughs) and we have to do it faster. So glad I got a backup because you took mine. Uh, my name is Colin, and I'm sorry. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> I just want to say, angry Bill Buchanan. I'm for it. I want more. Well, except, I mean, I think that he was pitching the writers the rest of the season. <laughs> we do it better and faster. And they're like, oh, how do we do that? Uh, I know. Have that line next week or in like three weeks' time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not this week. Uh, I mean, this this is an epic episode. I think that... I mean, there is stuff in the lead up to the final 10 minutes which maybe we will nitpick at, but I, I think that it's still strong and I I always have stood by this is like you can have an episode where you've got moments that are so jaw-dropping that it can elevate the episode more than it probably would be. We've talked about that a lot. Yeah. 
But I think with this episode, I mean, the two moments at the end, there's, there's a frustrating moment I have, obviously, with the Curtis death. But I, I literally watched this and I just kept rewinding both scenes. I think I, this might be the most rewatched space of 10 minutes I've ever had in 24 history, considering some of the moments we've already gone over. Um, I was just in absolute shock and awe at both the moments I did. And the way they handle them is so good. And again, it just makes me so angry that this is like peak season six because watching this live, you've talked about your reactions to this when you're watching it. And even when I'm watching this live, I didn't hate it, as I've constantly said. But it never reached this quality again. And it's just so frustrating in hindsight to think the excitement that was drawn on this. I mean, these are the highest rating episodes of 24 ever. Like, it's just they reached such a high with this. And what could have been with this season if this is what you're doing in the fourth episode? Wow. I mean, they, they missed the beat here. But this episode's still so good. Uh, I, I think that I watched the final scene so much that I actually have blocked out that this was also the Curtis episode. So I think it was only like, maybe even last week. Yeah. Yeah. I always, I always kind of remember that this whole Curtis and um, um, uh, what's the guy, the Star yeah. Trek guy that they're, the Jack, <laughs> Star Trek Jack. Uh, but uh, I thought that their whole showdown was like episode six, but here it's the same episode. And I think that that was intentional. And that's part of why that final scene plays so well, because the audience at this point has been programmed to think they know 24. And especially in season six, boy, they're really going to just hit every single beat that you always hit. And coming off of the previous season where you opened with the shocking deaths, by episode four, you're thinking this isn't going to happen. And then when Curtis deaths happened, you're like, well, this is how the formula goes. This is the, the climax of the episode. So then when they throw the other big thing in there, the, which is the big moment, it's like you basically forget it. it it's it's very much like uh, with the whole Edgar and Lynn death thing too. One just sort of outshines the other and you sort of forget like these two things go hand in hand. Uh, but I, I, I kind of had a different reaction this episode. I went to it expecting this would be the big one of the first four because it's the one I always remembered loving. Uh, and maybe I'm being a little bit more nitpicky. Sometimes you watch an episode and it's so great and you're like, oh, I got to try to be objective because I don't want to just be gushing over everything on this episode. And then other times you're like, oh, ah, I think maybe I had such high expectations that maybe I'm being a little bit too critical. So I kind of have to kind of work out a balance throughout covering it. So it's kind of like the Mandela effect when you think something's in a, you know, a different than it is. Because um, that's kind of like what we talked about last season and also say Breaking Bad that, yeah, like the Edgar death and the Lynn death, I always thought were in the same episode when they're not. Uh, mm. Breaking Bad, I always thought that Ozymandias and Telahaji, or however you pronounce it, were kind of the same episode. With like, you know, the ending when Hank gets shot in the beginning of the next episode, like, you know, kind of how they all, like, they're different episodes. You know, you kind of put them together in your head. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I will have criticisms of this episode still because, again, I, I, I'm very critical of the Curtis death and how that is handled. Um, but it's still an epic moment. And I think what, to me, makes it, and I'll talk about it, is Kiefer and Jack. And this is, again, that level of Kiefer and Jack that I want for an entire season, not for four episodes. Because, again, just saying, ladies and gentlemen, in a week's time, Jack Bauer's going to be choking his own brother with a plastic bag. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so remember he's the not end gonna of, be biting him <laughs> remember the end of this episode where jack's like vomiting and crying because he's killed a very good friend of him and the next week ah oh, you fucking little shit brother put a plastic <laughs> bag on your head I didn't wow really, but you saw the kid you saw his brother's offspring i mean <laughs> he's well, been asking for a beating <laughs> all those people who watched paul mccrane in er for all those years who wanted somebody to put a plastic bag on his head well you got it in episode five of season six of 24 
Uh, another episode where really we can do it chronologically, except probably for the Palmer drama. There's really limited Palmer drama, I think. Can we just first of all touch on uh, the Ricky Gervais cameo, which this is what it was said in this episode. Did mm. you watch it when I sent you the link? I, I th- I'd already gotten past it because I watched this episode like yesterday. So I think I'd already gotten past it. But uh, I, I need to go back and rewind now to find out. Would you have a timestamp on no, that? So is? he's not actually in the episode. Though. Like, this is like, like a, he's a background extra. though. Yeah, right? but like, I don't I think like they literally cut him like they film this scene extra. So he's not actually in the real <sighs> scene. It's more of a like this is like an additional scene that fits into this scene. But then like if you actually watch the bit. So essentially the Ricky Gervais cameo is the scene when the ambassador comes in. And Ricky Gervais is standing in the background with like, and the woman he's standing next to is his real life partner, Jane. And basically he's just kind of like standing there with a thing like nodding, going like, oh, it's the president. And he looks at, you see him, he's trying to steal stuff from the White House. He doesn't really say anything. He's just kind of like a bit bored. And then basically once the ambassador leaves and um, Palmer and that's all going like, oh, what do we do? What do we do? Ricky Gervais is just literally just like, call Jack. And there's a still going, oh, but we could do this, we could do this. And Ricky Gervais is like, call Jack. And then uh, Palmer's like, oh, we could do this, we could do this, this. It's like, call Jack. And then, like, you get Wayne Palmer is like, ah, oh, fuck it. Yeah, get him on the phone. <laughs> so you actually hear D.B. Woodside drop the F-bomb. Um, so it's quite funny. Uh, but, it's, I, yeah, not actually in I the know episode. This, yeah, well, but the, this episode did have, like, the the deleted and alternate takes part. But I, it's it's tricky to catch those unless you're literally staring at the screen the whole time because it's just, like, the, the logo that comes at the corner. I went through this whole episode and I'm like, oh, I didn't see any deleted takes. So I need to see if maybe that is the alternate take they include on the episode, the DVD feature. I think it is on the DVD because I do remember seeing that many years ago. I think there, I, I read in the, the trivia, there's a Sandra Palmer deleted scene with her going to like a judge or something like that. So that could also mm-hmm. be one there too. Uh, speaking of Sandra Palmer, I mean, literally she gets a phone call from Tom Lennox because she's trying to get to Wayne and Tom is like diverting her. And like, it's, um, I don't know if I fully understand this because you know, we know Tom has loosely put into place these like detainment camps, which aren't meant to be active, but are. Um, mm-hmm. The president knows about it, but this is implying that Lennox is hiding it from him because he's all like, and about your friend Waleed, like, don't worry about him. And then Sandra's all like, like, I, I always love it when you get a good line in a TV show or a movie when they're like, are you threatening me? No one ever says like, yes, I am. But like Sandra does. She's like, yeah, I am threatening you. Screw you. And you can understand you'll be held with like, Props to Regina King here for, like, owning this scene, given that she's not getting much to work with. But then what doesn't make sense about this is, like, a week ago, she's just, like, walked out. Oh, sorry, Waleed, got to go. And now she's like, I'm fighting for you, Waleed. It's like, well, you could have a week ago. So she goes back and sees him. And meanwhile, (laughs) old Waleed here has been hanging out in the courtyard. Excuse me, can I have some water? It's like, oh, thanks for helping me, brother. It's like, oh, you, Johnny Terrorist, come over and hang around with me. To which Waleed's hanging out, chilling, and he's listening to, <laughs> listening to speaking in Arabic. And I fucking love this bit when he's back with Sandra. Sandra, you've got to listen to me. I don't understand Arabic, but I heard a phrase repeated multiple times. Pass it on to the FBI. What if they're all going like, oh, Morocco won the cup last night. Morocco won the cup last yeah. night. <laughs> yes, Morocco won the cup last night. Oh, my God, I can't believe Morocco won the cup last night. You're right, Johnny Terrorist. That was never anticipated. Like, racist Waleed. Uh, well, but if Morocco didn't actually win the cup, it's obviously code for something like we're going to nuke Los Angeles. But, but like, a group of Arabic men hanging out together repeating the same phrase. Like, I don't speak Arabic, but if I'm hanging down the local Kmart and there's a bunch of Arabic men saying, and I keep hearing them say the same phrase over and over again, like, I don't know automatically terrorism i mean they're gonna pay off but sure like it's still (laughs) anyway um that's the palmer drama that's it uh anything dad (laughs) 
Uh, yeah, a little bit. I mean, um, I, I, I feel like this is part of what drags the episode down because everything else is sort of wraps up or takes it to the next level. And this is just like, we're just stalling a story. And I also know the story is like, it's not the best. Uh, the, the only thing that I really enjoyed in this episode was a, the water. Do you know where I might be able to find some water? <laughs> yeah. And then they have like, this is the fanciest water ever. Like if, if, if Regina King's like, oh, these, these things, they go, these detainment camps are illegal and they're barbaric. They, they got premium, like Dasani water, sparkling water there or something like that. I want to go to this place. I'm drinking like tap water out of my Brita filter. <laughs> like, they're really they're getting the first class uh, treatment there. Uh, but uh, the, the other thing is Regina King comes and she's, uh, uh, what's say she presents herself as a lawyer. It's like, your lawyer is here to see you. And then she goes in there. When they open the door, she very openly kisses him. Like, shouldn't these guards be questioning? Doesn't your lawyer? Are you the this is a lawyer. Yeah. But is this to do lawyer? If you are a lawyer slash girlfriend, does that mean like we can have a conjugal visit right now and they can't object? Cause I'm your lawyer. I can't land a lawyer, Colin. Don't ask me. <laughs> no, it definitely can't. No, that's not his problem. If he was looking for a lawyer, he might be able to get a date. I actually, during the week witnessed his uh, dating ability uh, on these apps and uh, he matched oh. with a lawyer and he was like, Oh, lawyer. So oh, that standards are too high yeah. or too low. Yep. <laughs> Oh, was that it? That's all I really had. That's literally it. What else is there to talk about? Very, very pleased you know what a conjugal visit is. So um, (laughs) you and Jamie play prison. (laughs) You be the guard. I be the prisoner. Um, I think we actually, we can probably just like lump all the terrorist activity before the end and then kind of connect the Jack stuff into it. So I think kind of a lot of that can kind of be skimmed over a little bit here. Um, So we've got um, Cal Penn basically has chowed down an entire bottle of prescription pills. I mean, <laughs> rest in peace, Matthew Perry. But, like, I mean, during the week, he was found with uh, prescription pills near him, which is a bit of a worrying sign. Cal Penn should be floating downwards in a jacuzzi right now. I mean, he's like, that <laughs> was full. Um, like, I just I love how, like, you have these in TV shows when they, like, you know, pop them. I, when I was living in New York, uh, Jen, the one that you got wrong, uh, I, I was a bit sick and I had some uh, a, a bad cough. The Harlem uh, place I was staying in wasn't very well filtered. So um, basically, Jen cheated the American medical system by dialing up some like teleprompter health thing, which you could basically talk to someone and was like, these are my symptoms. And they're like, okay, we'll prescribe you with these pills. It's like she was claiming it was her, but it was obviously for me mm-hmm. to try and stop my cough. So uh, thanks, American medical system, for the free drugs. But uh, afterwards, they're going to be like, oh, this contains high amounts of estrogen, which will not be a problem for you, ma'am. Let's be honest. They weren't free. That cost me like (laughs) $18,000. But they came in a little orange little thing. I thought this was just a movie thing. But they came in a little orange because I don't think I ever saw that in Canada. I don't know if I ever got prescribed drugs in Canada. I mean, growing up, I remember that we had the orange pill bottles. Now everything is like completely clear here. So I don't don't know if there's a reason that Canada switched to transparent as opposed to orange. But maybe. Just bad association with the United States. It excited me, though, because it's one of these things that you grow up watching TV and movies and you just associate. Like, it's kind of like um, Asian food in boxes. Like, you'd see in New York, you'd order, like, you know, and so we had a, we've got a chain in Hobart called Noodle Box, which it comes. And when that started, I was like, oh, my God, this is real. And when I was living in New York and we'd order Chinese food, they would come in the little boxes that you see on, like, on uh, two weeks notice when Sandra Bullock's ringing up going, like, I'll have number seven, I'll have number 12. I'll yeah. have, like, that's a thing. I just thought that was just a movie thing, but it was, oh. it's real. So it excites me just, when I see that. Just wait till when you actually do get cleared to move to the States and you're assigned a 555 <laughs> number. It's going to blow your mind. I have a 55 number in this country, Colin. That is the truth. <laughs> and what is annoying is that when you enter it into 
databases like where you got to enter your phone number. 50-50, they think you've got a fake number. Like literally, <laughs> like I have 555 smack bang in the middle of my mobile phone number. And every time I enter it, it goes, please enter a valid phone number. And I'm like, this is valid. So then I just have to put a fake number. I will literally put, because Australian mobile numbers start with 04. So I'll put 04000000000. It will accept it. Um, or yeah. 04123456789. It will accept it. But it won't accept my number with a 555 in the middle of it because it thinks it's fake. So they, Ben has a fake number. I do. And now by process of elimination, uh, somebody out there can spend a day and actually eventually get to Ben. 049. Um, that... <laughs> Seriously, like, call me. Like, I, I, I'm, but I'm like such a stage of life now where like nobody calls me because I think everybody now is just on internet now, so that barely anyone has your phone number. If somebody calls me, I look at it and go, nah. Like, I just, I don't yeah. even know who it is. Yesterday, the UK called me. I'm like, scam. <laughs> like, I don't know anyone in Britain who's calling me. It's, it's like text messages are start slowing down a lot now. I can remember the yeah. day when everybody would text you, and now it's like, okay, I've got maybe I don't know five to 10 people who still text and usually I'll still respond quicker to a text than I will any other messages. I'm like, Oh, a text message. This is exciting. And he's, he's Colin and Ben on their porch. Talk about the good old days. Um, I just got <laughs> a new phone. Physical SIM cards are not a thing anymore. I've got a digital oh, SIM really? card. So like literally well, the phone I got, you don't like, I've got my SIM. Like where do I put it? And it's like, Oh, it's a digital SIM now. And apparently I can have up to five SIMs on this phone. So when I move to America or Canada again, I can keep my Australian one in there and then have a Canadian and American one and just switch between them. Oh, I feel like being Canadian today. Yeah, well, I'd say I we we have like a digital, but like if you still have an old SIM card, because I've had my same cell phone number for like 17, 18 years now. So I still have a SIM card. So they have the options like, oh, if you have a SIM card, just pop it in. The problem is, is that the, the new phones, they don't come with, they used to always have that little key, which is kind yeah. of like a paperclip. Mm-hmm. They don't come with those anymore. So I just uh, switch my phone I got a new phone and well, I got a new work phone like six months ago and it came with one of those and I got a new personal phone and it didn't. And it's like, how am I going to get the SIM card out? So I'm like fiddling around with paper clips and, and sewing needles and everything. And I ended up stabbing myself a couple times before I was able to get the SIM card out. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just looking at mine now for some reason, mine did, even though it doesn't have a SIM card tray in it. It's the Apple still give you the oh, thing. You could so. have sent it to me with a care package I got today Aww. if I only had told you a week ago. <laughs> I know, I should have. But uh, anyway, Ben and Colin talk technology uh, next week on the show. Back in my day. We discuss televisions. Um, <laughs> so um, where are we up to? All right, so the terrorists. Um, uh, Cal Penn, he's uh, holding old little kid hostage but then calls up old dad and dad's all like, I've got the package. And he's all like, cool, you've got to go deliver to Fayed. And he's like, no, release one of my hostages. And I love this little fake out when it's like, you've got to choose one. Who do you want to release? Um, um, release the boy. All right, well, release the yeah. wife. I said the boy, damn it. No, you tell me which one you value more. I want the wife to be on the phone. Yeah. Going, you fuckhead. Like, yeah. <laughs> screw you. Um, come on. Uh, what's his name here, old dad? Like, that's 101 in hostage situations. Always tell the one you care about the least. I'll release that one. Um, yeah. So, but I kind of like, I like him standing up to Cal Penn and it's kind of, it's a nice back. This is the episode where I think this storyline pays off and I kind of wish this had gone on a little bit more. This is, again, as much as I love this episode and what it comes from it, you can tell they were under pressure by Fox to bring in an explosive two-part premiere. Mm -hmm. And this, again, I know you kind of disagree with it a little bit the other week, but I feel this is a storyline you could have dragged out for half a season. Maybe the shock value of it is better four episodes in we've let off a nuclear bomb and killed off a major character. I get it. But at the same time, like 
it just it, it it's gonna scream. We're gonna be saying this so much in the following like twelve weeks. They've just fallen off the. They don't know what to do from here. Um, it's yeah. And, like, but, like I'm 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 still torn on it because I think that. It, it, it makes for a great opening, and especially when we get to the Curtis, because yeah. that's that's part of what the surprise is. The Curtis is even on a rewatch. You, first of all, you get these two big shockers back to back. You don't expect to to have all this in one episode. You know, you add to that the whole dad subplot gets wrapped up as well. But then the flip side is, if this had been a different season, if this was season five and you started with a four episode opener like this, I'd probably be okay with it. It's just oh, we know that there's not much else left of in this season save at least one of these plot lines to drag it a little bit further. But yet I, I absolutely love that we have this four episode block because season four, that was the struggle yeah. when they started doing this whole two, two night premiere season four, it didn't quite work. Cause they're like, well, we didn't plan it this way. So it almost comes off as desperate. You're right. Because they didn't know what to do. Season five, they kind of did it. Season six, they perfected it. Um, and I think the thing too, with the storyline is that what makes this season also a struggle is that it's such a convoluted storyline that you can, this is the season, the first real season to me, you can tell they were making this up as they went along. Whereas the other seasons, it's kind of like, unless you're paying as close attention as you and I do on this show, you fake it till you make it and you believe it. And I think that the strong stuff that comes after this episode is all Jack related. It's all Kiefer related. There's nothing really to do with the storyline. It's just Jack Bauer has some badass moments where it kind of gets elevated to it. Um, you know, this is going to be that rare season where I think, the storyline we're gonna i'm gonna really struggle to have top five moments in this season based on anything other than jack um so i mean there's two in this episode alone um which guaranteed to make the top five based on what we've had going to have in the rest of this season but um again i like this kind of like holding a family hostage kind of thing to help out with the, the terrors like i think this is one of those random ones where let's get random story. We had it with Dickhead in season three, which we didn't like. <laughs> then we had it with um, uh, the Raz family in season four, which worked. And last season with Connie Britton in that, it worked. Um, well, in season two with um, um, well, with, with Sarah Winter and her family. Oh, no, yeah. No, no, I'm no, thinking the... No, you're true. Right. You're right. 100%. Warners, yeah. Yeah. And then obviously um, season one, we had, I mean, I guess that's Janet, isn't it? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any excuse to bring up Janet. There's actually, I mean, there's a bit I'm about to get to here, which is very reminiscent of a season one plot line. But uh, so uh, the wife gets released and this is exactly the part, which is reminiscent of season one, calls up the, uh, the husband and basically it's all like, oh, don't call the police, don't call the police. I'll go deliver this package and we'll let um, our son go. But then she kind of double thinks it and calls the police. It reminds me very much of the Jack Bauer holds a waitress hostage storyline when she goes and like tells a cop. Yeah, which I like that. I know you didn't like that, no, but I like that. Um, so this is where Jack obviously gets on the line with the woman and they hear the name Fayed, so they're going to connect the dots about this um, the the visitor, as they call it, in Valencia. Um, meanwhile, the dad delivers the package to Fayed. Like as good as uh, this sounds weird, as good as the terrorists have obviously been in the last few weeks by destroying many targets, we'll just let random white guy in. Like <laughs> fucking shoot this guy! Why do you need? Like I don't get this. Keep him. We might need him for level. Why? Like, what yeah. do you need him for? Do you think, like, well, the president's going to be like, you just let a nuclear bomb off. We're not going to help. I've got a white guy hostage. You're right. We will listen to you. And what does it really matter? Because at the point he drops it off, I mean, I don't know exactly what the time simp is in the episode. You let this guy go. I mean, is he going to make it far enough for it to matter? 
well, <laughs> they, they, this, this guy is going to have to get pretty far in the next, what, 15 minutes for, for him to actually I, survive. I think, oh, yeah, I agree. But I also think the point of them letting the bomb off at the end is this isn't their intended target. They're obviously going to go to a populated area, but they're panicking. And I think that's what makes this episode and this, the nuclear bomb mm. even better is that they oh, panic I hadn't even thought about that. and yeah. let it off. Like, this is what we should have had in season two when they're on the plane trying to take off, right? They should have just yeah. gone panic, let it off. Um, but that's to me what they do in this episode. But I, I do kind of like when they he delivers it, and he's like, you know, because obviously the guys escape from the the federal prison that they're they're chasing. He's there, he's fixing it all up, and then they're basically and like, oh, we're gonna activate the bomb. And what does Fire say? He's like, oh, this will show America that you're, you're a bunch of pussies and we're the best. And he's like, you're sick. And they're like about to kill him. He's like, no, 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 don't. We might need him. Like. Oh, this, he's killed a guy like 20 minutes ago. Now he's all like, yeah, I'm going to stand up to Osama Bin Laden. Fuck you all. Um, so they kind of build all that up, ready to go. And obviously that's going to set things up. Which, again, I see what they're doing here. I, I, I bet you they've written this storyline on paper, like the three family members. And it's kind of like one of these are going to die. And it's like I think you need a sacrificial lamb in this sort of instance. Is it going to be the boy? Is it going to be the mum? Is it going to be the dad? But literally after this episode... Never hear a word from him again. That's it. Thank you for your time. Uh, so, like, that's where it kind of loses the plot a little bit. Meanwhile, Cowpen dies. Um, he gets raided. Just as our little boy, he's about to die. Um, which uh, I've got to, like, when Fayed's on the phone to him and he's all like, you've done a good job, now kill the boy. 15 minutes pass until we get back to the house. Because then old uh, little kid boy here, weird haircut kid, who does a really good job in this episode, by the way, can I just say, like, yeah. Um, I feel like I'm bagging this family out, but honestly, really good, these family. They've really got some good actors here. But you see, because he eventually goes like, what are you doing? You're not saying anything. You're just sitting there in silence for, for like 15 minutes. Um, <laughs> so he's just like gotten off the phone. You must kill the boy. Understood. And then like the boy's just sitting there going, well, he's quiet. This is good. <laughs> I'm just going to sit here and think about that homework that's due tomorrow. Uh, like, and also well, there's a line from the wife where she's like, um, Ahmed, like, I love how they keep saying calling him Ahmed, even though he's going like, it's Ahmed. Um, I love that dad does that. And then, and then the other terrorist guy says, so Ahmed, yeah, exactly. <laughs> did you hear that? The proper pronunciation, sir. But like, like at one point he's like, we've known your family for years. It's not implied at the beginning of this season that they're that close of friends. They're just like, oh, that's Ahmed from down the street. Like, uh, you know, let's, yeah. Let's do that. Um, but, yeah, so he gets shot and gets killed, and that's kind of setting that up. And I might just add in here, because I think the rest of this will just be Jack and, and uh, Assad and the president and the mm -hmm. bomb. Uh, the one minor bit which kind of I don't really think fits into all this, which I'll just lump the little mini CTU drama we have at the beginning of the episode. So, obviously, we have... Uh, Bill getting angry at everyone. When I, I, I always love like a retcon at the beginning of an episode where you would have quickly catch the audience up, even though this episode literally aired before this episode, the night it aired, when he's just yeah. basically like, okay, there's a nuclear bomb loose. All right, everyone, this is our top priority. Oh, really? I was trying to find that, um, that Albanian group that was going to blow up a Chuck E. Cheese in South Dakota. No Jenkins. Actually, not even Jenkins. Dobbins. There's a Dobbins mentioned in this episode. Um, I've got a backlog of files to format from 2001. It's not going to do itself. Oh, it's opening sockets. Um, I'm still yeah. <laughs> cleaning Paula's guts off the wall. Nope, that can wait. Uh, and I'll, Again, everyone's just so calm. They're so used to it in CTU land. Oh, a nuclear bomb's on the loose. Oh, another day, another dollar. Um... But then I, I love the, the mini drama between Chloe, Milo, and Morris because apparently oh. Morris is shitty at Milo because 
Chloe and Milo dated uh, because we needed to know that, to which then Morris all of a sudden is okay with it. So thanks for that pointless drama, CTU. Um, But yes, there we go. I've lumped a whole bunch of stuff in there before we get to the juicy stuff. Uh, The Milo and Chloe and uh, the, the, the Morris thing... That's one of the things where I'm like, oh, how critical do I want to be on this in this episode? Um, it's it's just weird because, first of all, none of this has been mentioned. And I, we know that Chloe has had incidents sleeping with subordinates before. I don't know if Milo is her subordinate or not, or if he was at that point when they dated. Or sorry, when they saw a few good movies is the way she, she phrases it. Uh, but like, this is, this is not becoming like a habit with Chloe. Like, it's yeah. only co-worker she dates. I mean, I guess some people are just married to their job, so there's there's nobody else you're going to have the opportunity to meet. But it just it comes out of nowhere, and I don't think that this goes anywhere because don't don't they they pair up? It was Milo and Nadia later yeah. on, right? Yeah, they, they yeah. Hook up. So it's just it's just weird, and it it, it doesn't really belong in this Freddie episode. Prince Junior and Katie Sackoff, Jack and Renee. I mean, you married and, a woman uh, from work. Who are you to talk? Yeah, well, I don't know. I'm just simply saying, like, Chloe's got a pattern here, and it never quite works out well. Um, I've so, never hooked up with anyone from work, from what I can think of. I mean, you usually work by yourself. I mean, that's just part of it. True. Um, Noah? Ah, uh, yeah, we had a few things. Um, <laughs> no, I've never, never have I ever, never have I ever have a drink. Um, <laughs> have I gotten or dated or even tried to with anybody from work? I'm a loser, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> Ben needs a better co-worker. That's his problem. I do. I need to hire uh, better, more attractive people. <laughs> Colin and Noah. Wow. Yeah, we're the only options. I mean, there's Jared and there's Rocky, but uh, that's a slight a step A girl up. I worked with has an OnlyFans and I subscribe to that. Does that count? <laughs> an older work, like like many years ago, not a current well, they, worker. Just they said older, no, an older, an older course. She's like in her 60s, so it's safe. Older for me is like 12. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, exactly. Uh, anyways, yeah, so the, the whole Milo thing, I, I do love those, just their back and forth between, no, I like tabs, tables is better, tabs, tables. Are you a tabs or a tables guy, Ben? Oh, I, I don't know the the context in which they're sorting, but I, I, I'm, <laughs> uh, why not tabs and tables? Like, I have separate tabs with multiple tables, both. It's, it's all going to depend. I've got some some Excel Organized. sheets where I'm like, I need I need a tab because this is completely separate. And sometimes, no, a table works better. Probably ta- I'm, um, I'm, I'm very organized, Colin, so I like things to be... No, you know, anybody who's listening, a single person out there who's listening, just, just reply to this post or find us anywhere on social media and just tell us, are you tabs or team tabs or team tables? They're not replying, We need Colin. to know. We've been saying this, this is for gonna six be, years. It was team Mike versus Palmer one season. <laughs> we have one of these battles every year. Now it's going to be, I'm, are you team tabs or team tables? I'm going to get a message in about three years' time going, Bosco. And I'm like, what's that answer to? It's like a 2017 <laughs> third watch question. So, um, you know. Yeah, but the- lad undercover, we know that you're going to listen to this in about six, year, six, seven years. Tell us team tabs or team tables. Uh, let's just ask this in every episode. That This will be our 2024 <laughs> thing. Uh, the tables. year of 24, 2024. Yeah. By the way, are you tabs or tables? Uh, it's the new what TP uh, folder scrunch or whatever you used to ask. Yeah, folder scrunch. Good, good memory. Uh, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna get uh, a tally on this by the end of 2024. Uh, That's anyways, a yeah, I question. Wonder... When we get um, old Fayette on the show you... in a couple of weeks, are you tabs or tables? Well, <laughs> thank you for reminding me because I went back and listened to his commentary from uh, I think it was episode two that he was on. Uh, which he does tell that that trivia we read about uh, his father being, you know, I guess an innocent bystander in a terrorist attack. 
real story and incredible the way he tells it. Uh, but uh, he, he's a very funny guy. He basically introduced himself as saying he is the beautiful, cute, sexy, uh, whatever his name is, <laughs> as he appears on the screen. Can we uh, and then later on, him as that? Uh. <laughs> we have to. Yeah, I was assuming this is your opening line. There you go. Uh, but uh, he also kind of makes a joke about um, uh, with Carla Rhoda, who plays Morris, being his brother-in-law. And uh, I think it's uh, it's Manny Cotto who's doing the commentary with me. He goes, is he really? He goes, no, I'm just joking because we're two non-Arab guys who just constantly get cast as Arab people. <laughs> so he he's having fun of the the fact that he's a cast as Arab, but clearly not Arab. Very funny guy. Go, go out of the way to listen to the commentary before we get him on the show. Uh, but uh, yeah, another thing that he uh, clued me in on was, and I'd love to watch the, the rest of his time on the show with this in mind, is that the writers would constantly write things in the script where we already talked about the battle they had about should we make this more over-the-top mustache-twirling villains? Uh, and he said there are constantly things in the script where it was like, have a sinister smile cross your face. And he would ignore those every single time. He's like, I don't think that's the way to play this. He's like, the way to play this terrorist is that their cause makes sense to them. They're doing this for a reason, even if it's only their rationale. You know, it's it's really interesting to hear the way he played this. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the whole plot with the father coming... You sort of said white guy coming up at the door. I mean, yeah, I guess this group sh probably should be suspicious. They they should have shot him dead as soon as he was coming here. It's a CTU agent. Get him. Do they know? I don't think that uh, Cal Penn ever says, I'm sending a very white man to your door. Don't be suspicious that he is white. <laughs> uh, but uh, the thing with the mother too, now this is one of the other little nitpicking. You'll probably, I guess, touch on this more when we talk about the Jack stuff. But that phone call that comes in from Jillian, Oh, we had a Jillian who gave us a tip about terrorists kidnapping her son. There is nothing that Chloe says that implies that when Jillian's calling CTU, they're connecting this in any way to what Jack is working on. And yet immediately it's like, oh, that's a lead. We'll take it. There's 101 <laughs> calls coming in a minute in that heightened security in America. That yeah. When a terrorist attack's happening every five minutes, you've got little bit. Like we saw it in the beginning of the season, a bus driver sees I an Arab get on guy. A bus. Exactly. So you've got every <laughs> an Arab guy's walking down my street. He's, he's a terrorist. Yeah. Exactly. He's and, talking and, about people in camps, talking multiple phrases. <laughs> and, and I think that there is a mention of Fayed's name, but it comes after the whole Jillian call comes in yeah. and after they give it to Jack. And but he that's not, like uh, James in Arabic. Like, that's not like it's the most exactly. rarest name. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a small Nick picky thing. But uh, I mean, the, the father especially is just amazing in this episode. Yeah. Uh, the kid, great as well. I, I love just Cal Penn sort of sweating where he's like, is that really necessary to kill him? Because you see, he has a little bit of a conscience. Um, and he may also just be thinking, it's like, it's not really going to matter if our plan goes according to plan. This kid's dead by the end of the day anyways. Why kill him now, you know? Um, I, I do love you point out him down in the entire bottle because that is the only explanation for how this guy who, as we counted, took 20 minutes to cross the street with assistance <laughs> and then got in even worse shape where he couldn't get out of a chair where he actually springs out of his chair with the gun as if he's feeling no pain whatsoever when he's got the gun on the I little boy Charlie here. Sheen. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, I, I still, I like this plot and I, I again, I'm, I'm kind of torn. I think I would have liked this either way. I would have liked if you drag this out a little bit, because even with the, the Connie Britton stuff, that was what five, six episodes. Yeah. You could have wrapped that up in four. Basically it was wrapped up in four, but it's like, there's still give it a little bit more closure the next week. Show that somebody's going to be getting questioned. Uh, but just having this, you know, four episodes and then you're over with it. It doesn't have that ability to drag on too long. Like the Warners. I don't think the Warners necessarily dragged on too long. I think it was a great plot, but uh, 
there, there's some like the, the Kyle Singer, you know, that mm. one was probably only what six, six episodes max. I would be okay with that one being four, you know? But I think, yeah, the difference is, is that they put all their eggs in one basket with the Warners because you go straight away with Sarah Winter and all that. And like you brought them back. Um, you mm-hmm. know, you kind of forgot about them by the time you've got old John um, Terry coming back in and, and everyone questioning Marie and everything. You're kind of like, oh, yeah, they're still a thing. Um, whereas, yeah. like, that's one thing here. They kind of got, like, there's that middle ground. Like, I mean, the, the Arez family was kind of done perfectly. Um, you know, mm-hmm. Connie Britton in that last season probably done. I mean, Connie Britton's always done perfectly, let's be honest. Nah. Um, but, yeah, but, uh, yeah, props. I, I feel bad. Keep calling them the family. Uh, we've talked about Raphael Sabaj a little bit. But uh, Megan Gallagher plays Gillian and Michael and Garano plays Scott and uh, very well cast. I, I think they yeah. do a very good job. And just quickly too with Fayed, with Adoni Maropas, who we've uh, I've locked in a time. Uh, so we will be recording an interview with him. Very nice man through our conversation. So stay tuned for that. But um, I always forget that he's in this season quite a bit. He's in this season about like, I think like yeah. 17, 18 episodes. I always think that kind of he disappears for a while after this episode and then kind of comes back later. But no, he only, he misses two episodes, but like he's in it basically until like the 18th episode, bar two episodes that he's missing, which outside of um, um, R1, this might be the most uh, most appearances by a, a villain. I mean, Logan technically is the villain of season five, but mm. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, I think that's, again, that's why I always feel fired is, is somebody who is a, is a bit of a highlight of a, a pretty weak season. And I always forget mm. it. That's why I think he gets forgotten about pretty easily because no one remembers this season. Just like we talked about Mar yeah. Like, you know, kind of like he's a he's much better villain than we always give credit for. Yeah. I mean, the only other thing I really want to add on him uh, is that it is shocking to hear how many episodes he's in because I think because it takes such a different shift when you bring in James Cromwell and everything <laughs> that you basically assume he's gone at that point. And that's also just the formula of 24, you know? Uh, you transition from one villain to the next. You know, you 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 make sure you're done with Salazar before you bring in uh, what's it, Amador, and then Amador to Saunders, and so on and so on. Uh, but uh, part of it, I think, is because maybe for the wrong reasons, the villains we're gonna get that get introduced after this, they <laughs> stick in your mind, but maybe not for good reasons. And meanwhile, you have uh, Fayed here, who's a solid villain. the the only The only downfall is that you've kind of already done Marwan and it feels like Marwan 2.0. I, I think it's in some ways more interesting than Marwan as a character. There's a little bit more purpose to him, but they also had more time to plan this character. But it's a combination of that. It's like, well, been there, done that with Marwan. And we have villains that are going to be more memorable for the wrong reasons still to come. So he he sort of gets forgotten because I would have assumed, uh, what, episode 10, 11, and that's it for him? He's more menacing than Marwan. Marwan's got a bit of a... Julian Sands, like a bit of a one-liner trailer guy to about him. He's a bit hammy sometimes, which is not bad. I'm not dis- I'm not discrediting Arnold Vosloo for that. But I think kind of he's got more of a stoic, like menacing, like I would rather if I'm walking into a pub and it's like, you're going to fight Marwan or, or Fayed. I'm like, Marwan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, no, I, 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 at first I was thinking like, oh, Marwan's, Marwan's to me more of a Bond villain. Yeah. Whereas Fayed's like, oh, this is the henchman. Yeah, yeah. it's it's the difference between Silva and um, or Dave Batista. You know. Yeah. No, I hundred percent agree with that. So I'm just gonna gel through the Jack lead up stuff, and then I'll leave the last two scenes till the end. So basically, um, Jack's with Al Assad, and they're they're working out. Uh, they found a PDA, um, which Jack's having a bit of a moment with Curtis. Uh, you know, Curtis is like, this guy's an animal. We, you know, do you have a history with him? It's like, I'm not telling you anything. I'm Curtis. 
Uh, we're going to keep the drama. And Alistair's all like, oh, the visitors arrived here on Tuesday. So, you know, we've got to hurry up because 24, we're going to find this. Then Jack's just like, hey, Chloe, so can you do a background check on Curtis and Alessard? Oh, I'm busy. We'll just do it. It might come in convenience at the very end of this episode. Um, which, again, do they not do this? Like, should this not be a, you know, a thing that happens? Um, so they're on the hunt for this. Meanwhile, uh, the president uh, calls up Jack. Uh, and I love it. Like, this is sort of connected when Jack's sitting down, da- uh, when the president's sitting down with the ambassador, and this is that Ricky Gervais scene. Again, unnamed country. Let's just go with Yemen again. Um, and basically, they're all like, hey, so Al-Assad's a terrorist. Yes, he is, Mr. President. He says he wants to renounce terrorism. I believe him. Okay. <laughs> Get me Jack on the line. Um, this is this is where 24 has really turned into the Jack Bauer power hour because it's not like get me Homeland Security, get me the FBI. Get me, it's just get one man. Get one man on the mm. phone. He'll do it all for me. Uh, I, I do like the little phone call that Palmer has with Jack. Like, after everything this country has treated you like today, I understand if you'll say no. And Jack's like, I don't know if I can do it. And the president's like, but you have to, Jack. <laughs> like, <laughs> make your mind up, Wayne. Useless president. Uh, so Jack's like, I will do what I must. Um, shouldn't Jack, like, distrust? <laughs> like, I know he's a very loyal man, like USA. I'm loyal to the office of the presidency. But if anything, shouldn't Jack be more skeptical he basically mm. held the president hostage last season because there was an offence to the presidential office. I mean, maybe this is why they had to make Wayne Palmer the president because who else is Jack going to trust? But it's still kind of just like you've been in a Chinese prison for 18 months, mate, and you basically were put up for death by this guy two hours ago, and now you're just going to help him. Um, also, uh, President of the United States is able to pardon the Osama bin Laden of the 24 universe for all of his crimes, even though, as we learned, some of them didn't even happen in the US. Like... I don't know international law, but I love how like Wayne Palmer's like, hello, Al-Assad, former Osama bin Laden. I want you to help us and I will pardon you for all your crimes. It's like if he like blew up a, a train in Madrid, like does the king of Spain just go, hey, Mr. President, why did you pardon him for those crimes? Like that's does- a great Spanish accent too. <laughs> hey, Mr. President. <laughs> Sounds Italian, but like, it's just, should he just be like, I pardon you for all the crimes from against America? Like, I mean, this is just weird. So I'm kind of Team Curtis this episode in a way, particularly when you hear what Al-Assad did to Curtis's men in this episode. Um, so Curtis is brooding in the car because he's hearing all this. Jack's all like saying basically like, oh, this is all the only option we've got. We've got to do this. Um, so they go and kill Cal Penn. Uh, meanwhile, in the, the White House, um, Wayne's basically back and forthing about this. I, I, we get introduced for the first time this episode, short-haired assistant woman. Um, yeah. Now, I can't remember the names of other assistants we've had over the years. They obviously get that forgettable. Was it What's her name last season and everyone like that. She, I swear, like becomes a bit of a thing this season. Like she just keeps popping up and she's kind of like snarky assistant. Um, which, as soon as she came up, I'm like, why does she look so familiar? Yeah, she's a, she's a thing. Like she, is, it, is, it, is she Melinda? Is that her? Am I looking here at the... Yeah, Melinda. Um, pray, How many episodes? She's in like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven episodes. Um, <laughs> so she's in it for quite a bit. So I just... I always remember her being a bit of a significant character, like a significant background character, enough that you remember her. Uh, played mm-hmm. by uh, Jolene Kim, by the way, just in case people are wondering who she is. So um, she's there getting yelled at by Lennox and everything. Jack, meanwhile, they, they kill Cal Penn. And this is where they find about Valencia. So Jack and everyone's going to go to Valencia. 
But this is where Jack's like, um, oh, hello, Jamie. That's what Jack says. Hello, Jamie. Oh, thank you. Oh, what have we got? A glass yeah, exactly. of Coke? What is this? What is that, Jamie? Coke Zero. Coke Zero. Oh, how nice. Um, so Jack's all like to Alassad, like, well done, my friend. You go back to CTU. Um, what does Jack say? Is this where he's like, Dobbins can do it? I've written down Dobbins can do it. Um, there's a few other ra- random uh, agents that can take him back. Curtis is annoyed because he's basically all like, oh, you're going to let this guy get away with it? And Jack's like, basically, yeah, shut up, Curtis. Uh, so Jack goes to leave. Just as that, Curtis takes uh, Alassad and Chloe gives a phone call and he's all like, Hey, so remember how you asked me to check in on Curtis? So it turns out he has a history with him. Back in Desert Storm, they were leaving. His entire crew was kidnapped and ambushed. Uh, Curtis escaped, but the next day, Al-Assad put all of his uh, former colleagues on camera and basically made them and mocked them and chopped all their heads off personally. And yet we're just going to let this guy get away. So no wonder Curtis is pissed. Kind of hashtag Team Curtis here. Uh, so then which Jack realizes there's a bit of an issue there. So I might cap it there because I'll have the last two scenes together at the end. Yeah. Uh, kind of lumped a, a bunch of stuff in there together. Obviously, too, the terrorists are getting ready to blow this bomb up. But, um, I mean, again, this is my thing with the Curtis storyline. You give him a storyline. You introduce it last week. You do it over two episodes. I feel so bad for Roger Cross. He's like, I have a storyline. Um, and, like, there's a bit about him in the book, which I'll read. But, like, it's just... He finally gets some meaty stuff to deal with and you kind of get him over and done within a week and a half. And again, it's so in- inconspicuous when it happens in a few moments time when I talk about it. But it's still great. I mean, Roger Cross and Keith Sutherland off each other is fantastic. Yeah, I like, I, and again, I think I was more surprised that I like the fact that this is just a four episode thing with Curtis. Um, and, and part of that is because the only other time he's really had his own subplot was with uh what Aisha Tyler yeah which didn't really work and kind of worked but in certain ways but didn't really work and they also had uh deleted subplot with him having guilt and wanting to say Beirut but um of of course that as well didn't uh uh, end up even making the cut um but but this this plot actually works and whereas I would have liked to see this play out a little bit longer that's also partly why the surprise of having Curtis you know, basically come to an end in this episode works is because you're conditioned to think, okay, we're going to, we're getting into a plot line. This is going to go somewhere. The thing where I'm actually more, I'm not going to say frustrated, but again, torn on, do I like this? Do I not like this is throwing in, oh, he has to have a history with him. Cause I feel like this would have worked maybe better if it was just Curtis on his convictions of this man is a terrorist. He should not be trusted because this is his job. We, we've had this play many times before where somebody has a personal connection, so they go a little bit crazy. I mean, it, it's, it's almost a thing once per season at this point. But um, this is probably the one time where I actually like that. So I like this whole Curtis has this connection to him that nobody knows about, and he's got this personal vendetta. But at the same time, like, ah, but I still would have liked it better if you just made it. Curtis is just adamant that this is the wrong move to make. Um, but I, I did find it funny though, where Assad, uh, they agree, okay, we're going to let him help us right now. And Assad is presenting the PDA as evidence, by the way, this PDA guy, okay. It's one thing to say he's going to advise us or we're going to question him and he's cooperating. You're handing him evidence yeah. that is going to lead to stopping a nuclear bomb. Doesn't make any sense at all. Um, I, I don't know how much I have to add on the other stuff with, uh, with Jack outside of the, 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 obviously the big stuff we're still going to come at later on, but just, uh, yeah, Curtis getting this plot line, Roger Cross doesn't often get the ability to really act. Uh, he gets the ability to be action hero, to be, you know, the, the great guy, uh, the sidekick or whatever. 
Um, but giving him a chance to act here, I mean, he really shines. And I think oh. that's one of the reasons why it definitely hit a lot of fans hard when this episode aired. And part of that was pr- probably less to do with we just lost Curtis and more we lost Curtis when you just started to make it really interesting. And there's two bits here. I mean, the acting, this what elevates this episode even more and just adds to the elements. So I'll, I'll, I'll do the, I'll, I'll kind of separate them because I think kind of they're both two top five and I think we kind of need to eulogize mm-hmm. Curtis just briefly. So basically, Jack gets off the phone with Chloe, runs outside. Curtis has gotten an Al-Assad on the car and is basically like, remember me, special forces, blah, blah, blah. Still don't remember me. And Jack's like, damn it, Curtis, put the weapon down. You don't need to do this. And it's like, I, I can't let him get away with this. And it's like, we need him. We need him. Um, and again, like, I'm watching this. I, I don't know about you. We'll talk about when we watch this live. But I'm going like, oh my God, this is, you know, getting down. And then basically you've got this moment that Roger Cross delivers, which is a part which I always rewatch because this just adds to the emotional element to it. Curtis has just got this like line. He's like, I can't let him do it. You know, I can't let this bastard live. This, the expression that changes, he's got this really close up look on in Curtis's mm. face. And he kind of just goes into this almost like emotional moment. Like he knows he's about to die. So his kind of face kind of like squelches up. He's got this look on his face. And then you see the blood just explode in his neck. He gets shot in the neck. Um, <laughs> that's why maybe I that's thought that- he survived. Um, so, and then falls Ugh. to the ground. The music, the swell, the score. I'm, I'll complain about this in a moment. He falls to the ground. You kind of almost got this like crying, Curtis. You're like, oh my God, Jack's like crying. No other CTU agent here is doing anything about it. It's like, oh, one of my agents just shot another agent. It's a Tuesday. Um, and to which Jack, like, then Kiefer just owns this scene. Assad's shoved in the car and driven off. Um, and Jack's just, like, breaking down. He goes to this tree. He collapses. The score by Sean Callery, kind of this haunting Arabic, oh, like, is so effective. I mean, uh, yes, that. But I actually was going to comment. The music, even before that, just when Jack's going and, like, he finds, because it's like this drum beat, like, dun, 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 Sean Callery, give him an Emmy for this week. You've got this, like, I mean, I reckon they filmed this, like, mistakenly, either at sunset or sunrise, because if you look at the sun, it's like... Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> wow, it is very slow sunrise in Los Angeles, 10 a.m. <laughs> it's very effective. I mean, Jack vomits. Is this the first Jack vomit scene ever? Um, and he kind of just hit it. It's just, oh, God, like this is what made me rewatch it. I, I, I talked about in our third watch coverage that there's there's an element to characters, like particularly male characters, and there's no disrespect to female characters. But like if you if you're really into like a strong male character who's tough and maybe you look up to, when you see them break down and cry – that can affect mm-hmm. you very emotionally. To me, Third yeah. Watch, Bosco, when he breaks down about 9-11, like that hit a call with me watching that. And I've talked a lot about ER randomly. There's a scene with Carter when he's like addicted to drugs and basically uh, Benton, your hometown of Eric LaSalle, like confronts him about it <laughs> and kind of like, I don't even remember, like Carter kind of almost tries to take a swing at Benton and then basically he breaks down in his arm. Like there are scenes that just with characters – and again, mainly male characters, when they break down in scenes like this, it hits a chord with you because you look up to them mm-hmm. in a weird way. So this scene always hit a chord with me. Like we've seen Jack cry before, but the manner in which he does this is just incredible. Bill calls up, Jack, you killed another agent. What happened? Um, and then basically it's all been, I love how it's been explained to Bill that quickly. It was explained, it happened like 30 seconds ago. <laughs> Somebody calls up oh, Bill. Jack just shot, Jack shot another agent again. Yeah, yeah, not white again. Yeah, we might have to put a media release out. Yeah, I know, I know. All right, contact CNN. Um, I mean, Jack, but this is, again, that element of Jack just like, I can't do this anymore. I'm done. Like, again, it's something that goes nowhere after next week. I mean, I know he's about to see a nuclear bomb go off. Just, oh, so good. Obviously a top five moment. My one criticism, though, my one criticism, I 
still hate how they handle this because it is never like I, I guess if you watch it carefully, you kind of see Curtis slump down. You kind of see him slump down. They're helping him. But like to me, there's never a key moment that he's dead. So when mm-hmm. I watched this, I never thought he was dead. And I think from memory, the fan communities were exactly the same. And I'm pretty sure, and I will stand corrected next week, I don't think it's ever specifically said Curtis Manning is dead. I think it's just left open. And we get no silent clock. This is a rare episode where there's only four acts, not five. You could easily put a clock here right now, silent clock, then go into the closing. I feel you should have done that to honor Curtis. But it's just, it's frustrating. And I never got this at the time. As epic as this scene is, I'm like, oh, he's just shot Curtis. Okay, he'll be fine. He'll be back. You know, put a Band-Aid on. He'll wash up on a beach somewhere. Tony got shot in the neck. He was fine. But like, it's but no, dead. And I think you need to make this more effective that it's implied that he's dead straight away to make it more emotional. So that's my biggest mm. criticism of it. I mean, you feel free to chime in. And I'll just add quickly on Roger Cross and Curtis. There's not a whole lot to eulogize with him because I think that, as you kind of touched on just a few moments ago, like he didn't really have much of a story. And this is where I think Curtis gets forgotten about as a major character. I, I think he was only ever on the main cast, like for what, last season. And then he's basically demoted again. Um mm-hmm. And it's like, he's always a memorable character to me because he's kind of the first time Jack's almost had a sidekick. Like Tony, I guess, yes, but Tony was more of a, a in-the-chair guy who then turned into a sidekick. Yeah. They didn't know what they were doing with Curtis at the beginning of season four, but he was quite quickly out in the field in season four at least. And then last scene, he was just kind of, oh, the other, the tack team when Curtis is available. So, I mean, I, I, I think he had a good enough arc. Like it would have been good maybe to have another season or two of Curtis. But, I mean, it was good that Jack kind of had a sidekick. The only real time Jack has a sidekick. I mean, Freddie Prince Jr. is kind of a sidekick in season eight. But, yeah, I, 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 I like I, Curtis is always a memorable character to me. Probably makes my top ten. But wouldn't make my top five. Mm-hmm. I wish he had more to do. And I think Roger Cross is great. And he, he's going to say in the line, yes, I was in 24 and I was a good actor. Uh, I mean, you know what he is. He's, he's Han Solo pre-Empire Strikes Back. He's a new hope Han Solo. There's no complexity to Han's character in the original A New Hope. Han's entire subplot about, oh, Jabba, if I don't pay a job of the huddle, I'll be dead, man. Like, that's not even part of the movie. He's just this cool presence. He's a great sidekick. He serves his purpose. And I think sometimes those are the best characters because you don't want everybody. Nowadays, every character has to have their yeah. big story arc. I mean, even if you go back to Chloe, I mean, they, they were struggling in season three. And part of the reason they were struggling with Chloe in season three is because they were giving her story arcs that her character didn't demand yet, you know? Uh, so that's one of the reasons why I think Curtis is one of the more likable characters because you never tried to get too complicated with him. He just, he was what he was. Um, I I can definitely see what you're saying about yeah, maybe he deserved to have a silent clock. I think that's something when you're looking at the overall storytelling, but when you are going for, we need a way to surprise the audience with the end of this episode, like obviously their their rationalization was, we need this to make the audience think, oh, this is what the end of the episode is going to be about. But then if people are looking at their clocks and like there's still three minutes left, oh, well, if you kind of put in the back of their mind, wait, we haven't said he's dead yet, then they're thinking maybe there's still more to this. But it is kind of distracting to watch when you do this on a rewatch and you know Curtis never comes back because I'm looking at this. I'm trying to dissect. Part of it is you're not actually even showing his wound that well, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, they're helping and there's him. reasons. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and but my first thought is, is this is just, you know, analyzing the uh, the characters if, as if it were reality and not necessarily the, in terms of what works for the story is. Keanu Reeves told us, shoot the hostage, right? Like all Jack had to do, and that would be a Jack move, just shoot uh, what's the name? I saw it in the leg, 
Curtis has no more leverage, you know? Um, but, but it's such a great moment and it's played so perfectly. And part of, I think, Part of why I'm going to love this to be potentially, and well, we're probably at this point, also be able to say it's a lock. It's, it's in, in our top, top five. five. Yeah, <laughs> there's not that many more to come. Uh, is is because of the the not the surprise that they did this, but the surprise of how they did this against the 24 formula. Yeah. When everything else this season, and that that's because so much of what's to come in the season is going to become so predictable because we've seen it a million times. Uh, and I, I almost like these are going to be the two closest we've ever had back to back. You know, we had our number one, number one moment from season five was uh, the the Martha and Logan uh, conversation, the the slap and all that. But that's like the longest moment we ever inducted. And we're like, well, we can't really break it into two. This that is was, that was two scenes. There was an air break in the middle of that. So that was a there was one, a, but, although yeah. although it was one moment of two yeah. scenes. This is two very clearly different scenes. Oh, they're separate scenes. But, I would separate these two scenes. Yeah, but they play back to back, you know? So um season it, one, we remember we had about have... three in the finale, so they were kind of back to back, at least the uh yeah. yeah, a few of those. Yeah. But that's what makes it so un- uh, uh, unreal that both of these moments land so perfectly as they do is because you play them back to back and you manage to surprise the audience with both of them. Uh, yeah, uh, eulogizing Curtis, he is the ultimate likable character that never really got too complicated. And I, I, me personally, I think that's why he actually was likable is because you didn't try to do too much of them. And uh, the thing that I like here in the book, they've got a, a chat with Roger Cross and basically this scene was the literal last scene they shot, huh? pun intended. Um, and uh, Roger Cross says, the whole sequence is all done right there on set. It wasn't clear exactly when Jack takes the shot. So we talked about it and it had to be something big enough so that Jack knows that I'm not going to stop unless he stops me. We did it. And I had to look him in the eye and we had to look me in the eye. When I turn my eyes to blow Assad's brains out, that's when Jack knows it has to go down. It was the final scene I shot. There was closure to it. It was sad, but a great moment. We had been through a lot together over almost three seasons. There were tears and it was a touching moment. It was a powerful scene and I was fine because they were giving me a strong way out. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm glad he was okay with it. And I, there was fan backlash over this. I remember reading the forums and just, again, 24 fans are very precious about their silent clock. And yeah. considering... There is a scene next season, which we get a silent clock for, which is just like, oh, it annoys me that they give a silent clock to that scene. Um, but yeah, anyway, but um, Jack's reaction and rest in peace, Curtis. Fantastic. Uh, but then, yeah, like I, I agree with you. I think as much as I would have liked a break here in a silent clock, you're right. Like this is more effective. And what makes this ending more memorable is the fact that we just get straight into it. Like this on any mm. other season would be the ending to the episode. Jack going, I'm done, closes the phone end of the episode let's move on to next week but this is where you've got sort of this whole like chase sequence attack team have arrived at the valencia warehouse the president's watching on long um they're going in everyone's watching it's it's the tv show of the week and basically the terrorists see that they're there and there you hear this line when he goes like oh is it ready to go yet and he's like oh it can be so then he fixes it and then essentially they're all under pressure to the point where he then goes to flick the switch. You've got old um, uh, dad here who's just basically like, no, flicks the switch. And, and again, I'm watching this live going, oh, they're not going to do it. He's going to get shot just before he flips the trigger. And then, boop, done. Nuclear bomb. Holy fuck knuckles.com. They did it. And like, I, I, this is more shocking to me than season two because season yeah. two, you had a whole episode of, like the whole season was, we've got a nuclear bomb, right? And then you're always in the back of mind going like, they're not going to do it. They're not going to do it. And, and we said in the episode, which was so shocking when they let it off, was that 
wow, they really did it. But at the end of the day, they did that in the fucking desert. Um, it's still shocking. I'm still not taking away from season two's nuclear explosion. But this happens in like a moment of panic by a terrorist in a suburban neighborhood of Los Angeles. Now, yes, there are going to be many plot holes that we're going to pick a threat part for the rest of this season that a nuclear bomb just went off in the suburbs of Los Angeles, but people are just chilling like nothing's wrong. That's going to be a massive plot hole. But like, this is just incredible. And Jack's reaction when he sees a mushroom cloud, he's just said, I'm done to looking at this going like, okay, everyone's reaction. You're and, literally on the pavement when it happens. <laughs> and, and this is the one moment I will stand up for Wayne Palmer as a president. Because David Palmer, he's just a, a voyeur. He's just sitting in his Air Force One looking out the window going, hmm, mushroom cloud, it's going to be a long day. <laughs> Wayne Palmer is seeing this on screen and he within moments is like, contact the National Guard, contact this, do this. We've got oh. the entire, like he's, this is presidential well, Palmer right here. I don't know if you caught it too, but it was probably about five minutes before this in the episode. And it's a very background line. He even says to him, he's like, don't you think that we really should, you know, uh, give some type of, you know, announcement there's a potential nuclear threat? Like, it's like a throwaway line, but it's showing like this, and especially trying to set up him and Lennox in this battle, because Lennox is like, oh, the detainment camps are all about just preparing for the worst. And meanwhile, Wayne's like, what about preparing for the worst for a nuke? And they're like, that's nah, okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, there are moments that Wayne shines. And again, I feel bad for D.B. Woodside, but like, I mean, so far, Wayne Palmer in the first four hours of the show, how many terrorist attacks have gone off from a nuclear bomb? Again, we've said this in season two, the Palmer's, both of them, nuclear bombs went off. Like, imagine if yeah. <laughs> Mich- imagine if Michelle Obama became president and Barack Obama, a nuclear bomb gone under his term, and then Michelle Obama comes in, nuclear bomb gone off. And I'm not just saying that because of the color yeah. of their skin. I'm just using that as two likable presidents who are generally liked. Wait, if hold you- on a second. Uh-oh. When, when, what year was the first World Trade Center attack, the bombing? 93. Clinton. Oh, so it would have been after. Okay, I'm like, wow. If I'm thinking, is that 92? No. What are all the bushes with the World Trade Center? <laughs> Both Gulf Wars were under the bushes. See? Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, uh, it's if Hillary had gotten in and then uh, 9-11 happened under Hillary, then, you know, yeah. But like, this is the thing. Like, Palmer's nuclear bombs goes hand in hand. But I mean, this scene is just incredible. I, it does, I will say, half and half on the ending. So like, Ended on the nuclear bomb because then you got Milo walk in, you know, Bill and everyone's there, jaws dropped to the ground. And Milo straight away is just like, so we just got a call from the FBI. Uh, there's been a phrase said at a camp and basically uh, it's translated <laughs> to like three visitors or four visitors. And it's like, oh, there are four more of these out there. So again, I guess like the shock value is like <gasps> nuclear bomb and there's four more of these. Mm-hmm. But also I think as a 24 fan and as a fan like, They've gone shock value. This is epic. If it's a shock value, jaws to the ground. Oh, my God, they did it. But you also, in the back of your mind, go, they're not going to lease another four of these. This isn't just going to be the season where America just gets nuked. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if you really need that at the end. But, I mean, this scene is just incredible. I mean, this the final 10 minutes, incredible. Just, uh, yeah, two guaranteed. Th- I mean, I don't know right now if this Maybe is... Maybe our one and two. Yeah, I, I was about to say, I don't... Like, I honestly am saying right now, these are probably our number one and two. And I don't know mm-hmm. what order I'd put them in right now, but um, yeah, just an epic ending to an epic episode. So, yeah, I was actually thinking while watching this that, and, and part of that is also just memories of this sort of outshining Curtis's death. But I'm, I, I walked away from this episode more impressed with how Curtis's death was handled than the bomb. And I mean, the bomb was the thing where I'm like, I got to see that again, got to see that again. Uh, but uh, another thing where I'm kind of struggling with this episode is. Oh, did you have to do it like this? And it's not that it's bad. It's just 
Would I rather that they end this episode on just the bomb and the audience is questioning, whoa, what's the aftermath of this going to be? I got to come back next week just to see the aftermath. And did you actually need that thread of, oh, there's going to be four more of these, you know, uh, which is great because you're like, wow, they just release a nuke. You already know from season two, oh, you're, if you could do it at episode 15 or whatever, you know, you're probably not going to get another nuke by the end of the season. But you do an episode four, who knows, especially when you've had all these other terrorist attacks. Um it's not that I dislike what they do. It's just, oh, I probably would have been just as okay if they did it the other way. So I don't want to take too many points off this. This is just an episode where like, yeah, there were multiple ways that you could have achieved the same results. Um, it's the way this is shot that works. And and I agree with what you said about this being more shocking than season two for a couple of reasons. Season two, it was all, we talked about it a couple of years ago. That was all just about, will they actually show this on television? It's not, Oh, oh, I don't see this coming because you could see they're telegraphing what they're going to do in that episode with yeah. Mason. Oh, I'm going to be dead by the end of the hour. Anyways, no, I'll take over the plane, Jack. You see it coming. The, the entire tension of that episode is just will they or won't they actually show this on television with this episode? You literally don't see it coming. Uh, and and I was starting to question. I'm like, I'm pretty because I think I don't know if we specifically even said last week that this was the bomb episode. We just sort of both knew it was I coming. And I'm like, Okay, but but I was still, as I was watching this question, I'm like, did I get it wrong? Is it the start of episode five? Because there's barely any time left, you know? Uh, it, it's amazing how many little details lead to this being the big surprise when it comes. And even the way they film it, you know? Uh, with uh, season two, we had those great reactions of like Palmer looking out the, the plane or whatever. And I don't remember what CTU had, but I have a feeling it was probably something similar to like the Air Force One thing, like, you know, they're looking at a blip on a radar. Mm. But the the fact that you have Jack lying on the ground and he looks up and you just see that flash of light on his face. And then you cut to like the, the cloud over like the cityscape. And then what Wayne is seeing is just these satellite images. It's like one image after the other. It's like, you gotta wait two or three seconds. And now the cloud's a little bit bigger and then two or three seconds. And now the cloud's a little bigger and just the looks on their faces. But let's not downplay the best part about this episode is everybody's jaws dropped you got bill chloe nadia their jaws are all dropped milo walks in he looks at the screen he's got like a oh and then he's like uh so sorry to bother you but i just got a phone with the fbi like is that what you, you just watched a nuclear bomb go off in los angeles he walks in barely a shock look on his face Guys, the FBI was on the phone. What are the FBI hello, doing? Hello? Why are they calling? <laughs> <laughs> but, well, it's, this is uh, Renee. She's calling. Oh, we just got a tip. Something about five, <laughs> five friends or whatever. But it's, I just love Milo. I'm like, is the look of shock on his face? Because it's barely a look of shock. Is that is that a nuke going off on TV? Or is it, what's everybody so fascinated <laughs> with these brief images? And Milo should just be like, whoa, that looks bad but uh hey say to sort of spoil the mood but we got some news that just came out he doesn't even we don't even know that he knows what just happened coming into this room it's just so awkward that it just suddenly goes to by the way guys fbi on the phone um but yeah i don't, I don't want to downplay it too much like it is it is so amazingly directed what brad turner directed this episode you said uh i believe he did correct yes he yeah did. brad turner this is his season i mean he's he's delivering <laughs> week after week and this is something that you can't script how good this is going to be. This has to come down to how do you want to film this? How do you want to edit it? How do you want to time everything? How do you want the music cues? This is another one that like we're we're talking about Back to the Future right now. And we talk about the the whole clock tower thing at the end. It's like that is just 
a masterclass on how every department has to bring their A game to make that work so well. And this is kind of the equivalent of that in 24. Completely agree. Um, and just, yeah, rewatchable. And it just, it got you so excited for the rest of the season. I don't know if I've ever had a more anticipated episode. I talked about season two, episode one, but I mean, episode five of this season. And I will say, I know we're not to previewing it next week, but like there is the opening five, 10 minutes of next week isn't bad because it's kind of this reaction and panic from LA. This is what we I want as a whole like rest of this bit. But then now oh, in yeah. comes Graham Bauer. Um, <laughs> just a couple and of... Then, well, I, I don't know if we want to touch on or if you were planning to, but like this, we've mentioned it multiple times, but this is the first four episodes that got released on DVD. Correct. It got released on DVD, I believe, that same week. It was yeah. like the episode aired on what, a Wednesday or Thursday and like five, six days later, it was out on DVD and I remember going and buying it. I'm pretty sure that that is a sign that the rest of the season wasn't going to be good. Um, yeah. We should have, we should I mean, in hindsight. Let's get our money back before people stop watching. And I will say that um, this is the, these four episodes were the largest ever audience 24 ever got. It mm -hmm. averaged 15.7 million viewers over the, the two night premiere in 2007. Um, and it actually ranked as the seventh most watched program in 2006, 2007. So this was the highest rated season. Uh, unfortunately. I think it's the only top 10 season, right? Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Pretty much. I um, mean, off the back of season five, the opening four episodes of season six, right now it's peak 24, literally, because mm -hmm. everything else from here is downhill. A um, couple of interesting trivia. I will correct myself when I said that score uh, from Sean Callery uh, after Curtis's shot when uh, Jack is vomiting and everything. That's actually a score by somebody called Mark Isham, and it was actually played oh. from the movie Crash, our favorite film that everybody hates. Yeah. Um, so that's that was a Mark Isham, that's a big time movie composer. Wow. So yeah. the. the Source this music from elsewhere. <laughs> I need to rewatch Crash. Been a while. I hate how people bag out Crash. Great movie. Yeah, it's um, uh, yeah underrated. It's unfairly. I, I'm just gonna say unfairly judged. Yeah, everyone. Oh, that's the worst, best picture winner of all time. Um, I love the. St I'm a stats man, so I love here that the detonation of the nuclear device makes Abu Fayed either the most or second most successful mass murderer in 24 history with at least 13,000 deaths. The meltdown of the nuclear reactor in San Gabriel may have caused up to 50,000 deaths. So casual, basically. Um, yeah, but Edgar's mom counts for more. True. Manny Cotto said that this was his favorite episode from season six. That's not hard. Um, and uh, this episode has only four acts instead of the usual five. Cool. Uh, it's a buy from me, 100%. The yeah. last buy that I'll be saying for quite some time. Uh, so uh, I'm guessing it's a buy from you as well. Uh, yeah. So this is, uh, I wonder how many buys I've had in a row. Well, actually only five because I rented the last two episodes of season five or uh, the, the, not the last two, the, the 22 and 23. Well, I'm telling you now I will have 12 bins in a row after this point. So uh, <laughs> in a row, <laughs> in a row, uh, I'm not even joking when it comes to that. Um, so just a slight spoilerific on that. And then there'll be two, but there'll be two more buys. Then there'll be five more bins, and then the finale gets a buy. So I do not rent a single episode this season. They're either buys or bins. Um, in you know, this is I, I got to interrupt because something just came to me. Uh, we are we both noticed like the bizarrely bright sky that was clearly either sunrise or sunset. I actually wonder if if they did that so that they could use some of that natural light for when the explosion goes off. Obviously, they're going to have like maybe you know you, you don't have a, a spotlight when you're filming outside. They kind of have like well like those re reflectors or whatever. Now, I actually think that might be. I wish they had a commentary on this episode because there is none. But I'm betting that's the reason why they did this, like at dusk or dawn. I'm literally looking at the IMDb ratings for this week and next week. Eight point nine for this week. Somehow next week gets an eight. You're drunk on IMDb <laughs> if you're giving next week an eight. <laughs> Is this a show that where like every episode is like high sevens, yeah, low eights? Probably. 
Uh, I am ranking this at number seven. Uh, Ooh, this will go not one, that generous. one spot below the finale of last season and one spot ahead of episode 13 from last season. It's just like uh, the, the ending alone elevates this and this remains in the top 10. There'll only be two more episodes that will top this in the remainder of 24 for me. So this ends up at number nine overall for me. Um, so yeah, only two more episodes in the rest of this show will be better than this to me. Uh, just, uh, just the ending alone. Again, I uh, go back to that watching it live, the rewatchability, take me to that place. This is why I watch 24. It's these moments that stick with you. And no matter what I or anybody says about season six, I will defend the first four episodes and I will defend the ending of this episode. It's epic. It's amazing. And, um, you know, this elevates this episode above anything that season four did. And I'm a massive season four fanboy. So, um, yeah, anything way above anything that season two did. Uh, so yeah, just an incredible episode, uh, and it filled with two moments that will, let's say it right now, end up as number one and number two on our list at the end of this season. See, I, I think I'm also just a little bit harsher on are these moments what stand out more than the episode? Because I mean, you, you got fairly upset with me for me ranking, uh, with the season five premiere, where is it currently sitting at for me still? Uh, Number 11. So it's still currently number 11, but even that was a, for me, this isn't top 10. I have this actually ranked just one spot below what I have the premiere. And ultimately what it comes down to is that I had a couple of things in this episode where I'm like, I don't know if I really love that. And things where I'm like, ah, you could have done this differently where maybe it's just, you know, uh, memories of the episode four being so good and memories of episode one being like, oh yeah, that was okay. And episode one just sort of surpassed my expectations. And this one came up maybe just a little bit short. So this will be 19 overall for me. I, I don't I don't know if I'll have any season six episodes. Let's be honest. I know we're not going to have any season six episodes that crack my top 15, you but uh, I'll have two in the top 20 for now. You might love, you might love Josh Bauer. I don't know. Um, Just quickly before <laughs> I talk about next week, I, I, I forgot to mention your last episode we recorded, Colin. Uh, happy 700th episode. This is your 701st. Yes. So, what was our Back to the Future was my 700th. Yeah, so well done, congratulations. Um, yeah, next week. Oh God, here we go off the cliff. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to read the opening line of uh, the synopsis on Wikipedia. Through Assad's intel and Chloe's research, Jack learns of a connection between Philip Bauer, Jack's father, and the Abu Fayed's nuke supplier. That's all you need to know. We're here, um, but we don't get him until what 10 or 11, right? Oh no, we get him sooner than that. Um, I don't think we get him next week, but I'm pretty sure we get him a lot sooner than you think we do. Matthew, I thought that said Matthew Broderick did it next week. Michael Broderick. Um, no, we get him. We get him. So we get Paul McCrane's back next week and we find out. Yeah. That, well, uh, I know he comes in first, but I thought that Cromwell was like several episodes away. No, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that if I can find, uh, Who's Stephen, nephew-in-law, unnamed grandnephew? Uh, I'm just looking here at Phillips uh, of ja- of Graham's family. When do we first get him? Uh, 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. No, we get him in two weeks. So, um, yeah, James Cromwell, uh, only two weeks away. So, Daddy Bauer. I, uh, Can I give one of my spoilers here? Yeah. His, uh, if, if it's the same scene, if it's not like maybe I'm just remembering that he came in, but there's a scene where I believe is his scene where he gets introduced, uh, where, or maybe it's just the scene where Jack comes face to face with him. That might be a top five moment of the season, even though it is something where I kind of grew to hate it because at the time you're like, wow, eh, this is great. <laughs> I, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, I get, I get it. 
at the time, I didn't hate the family stuff. At the time, I'm like, yeah. oh, this is... Because I always think this is something you need to explore. Jack's background. I think that's cool. I'm not opposed to that. At the time, I was all on board with this. It's just, in hindsight, it's so bad. Um, but well, yeah. It's also the miscasting, too. Yeah. I mean, I think that Paul McCrane, brilliant casting to play, you know, Graham. Maybe not great casting to play Graham Bauer. Uh, James Cromwell, great casting to play a 24 villain, not yeah. this 24 villain. And as I, I'm always happy that when we um, had um, Thingo on the show and he confirmed that they did try and get Donald Sutherland. So yeah. that was my biggest gripe. I'm like, why didn't you get his real dad? And like, if this whole thing was Donald Sutherland instead of James Cromwell, I'm sorry, I probably would absolutely fucking love it. Um, mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, 100%. They would be hamming it but up that would be time. the right casting. That's the difference is that he, he fits that character. I honestly believe they wrote this not just we tried to get him, but they probably didn't even change a word of dialogue. Like sometimes you get a different actor and you're like, all right, we got to tweak this a little bit because it doesn't quite suit them. Like the whole Pierce Brosnan, Timothy Dalton thing for Living Daylights. Well, he's, he's, isn't, isn't he a twin, Keith? Doesn't he have a twin sister from memory? Mm-hmm. Um, so like, couldn't they have like uh, gotten his sister and instead of having a brother? Like have like his yeah. sister like that would have been cool. Graham could have been Graham is the brother-in-law. I buy more than the brother. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, uh, that's next week. Oh god, I'm glad you're hosting that one. Um, <laughs> tune in Back to the Future 2 this week uh, The Marvels is out this week I believe So probably have a review of that uh, As well as Amazing Race happening And uh, other things that I'm sure we'll get to as well But uh, we apologise for the following 12 weeks of 24 content uh, <laughs> We have done the best stuff so far this season My name is Ben And a terrorist is holding my son hostage I need to speak to the police and my name is Colin, and pardon me, but you know where I might come about some water? Thanks for downloading this episode of the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast by Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as finding out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at theoznetwork.net. Thanks again for listening and we'll speak to you next time. like exclusive stuff yes, yes sir do you like having access to your favorite podcast hosts in a way like never before yeah absolutely do you wish you had access to our old survivor oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online oh yeah if you answered yes to one two or all of those questions then get excited because the oz network is now on patreon <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. (laughs)